always live on the free Odyssey app. We now return to Meter and the Coach. Call the show at 401-737-1287. Southern New England Sports Original, 103.7 WEI. The second and final hour of Meter and the Coach. Great to have you with us as always, and thanks for waking up with us. He's Tim Welsh. I'm John Mita Perel. And as we dissect the Red Sox, we haven't quite dived in yet. But uh, the baseball playoffs have been, I think, riveting on some levels, including what Philadelphia is doing and what every team that won less than 90 games has done. And the teams that have won more than 90 games are out. And all the teams that didn't are in, for the most part, so outside of Houston. So I think uh, this just in, the ALCS starts tonight between Houston and, you know, you look at a Houston Astros team that is very intriguing and a Texas Rangers team that's equally intriguing and all Texas ALCS. If you care to watch it, it's on at 8.15. I know one guy who will be watching, Mass Lives, Sean McAdam, who's kept a close eye on the Red Sox, obviously, in the offseason as it started, and they're – Hobo search, Sean, has been slow going. That's the president of baseball operations job. You were all over this on Friday on MassLive.com. Why are the Red Sox having issues finding a Pobo? Uh, morning, guys. Uh, I think there's a couple of reasons. Uh, one is they've had a revolving door to that job and office uh, for the last dozen years. The next person hired will be the fifth baseball operations head since Theo Epstein in 2011, including Theo Epstein in 2011. And uh, another reason is sort of the infrastructure that surrounds this job. Um, To to say that this search is somewhat unorthodox is uh, an understatement because uh, the interested candidates are being told that uh, Alex Cora is going to return as manager for 2024 in the final year of his deal. And you're also being asked to inherit a baseball operations staff that is fully staffed at this point, leaving the new hire a little opportunity to put in people into his front office that he wishes to work with, he or she wishes to work with. Um, So I'd say those are the chief components here, why they're, they're being rejected by a lot of people whom in whom the Red Sox had some interest um, that that's not being matched because of the conditions of the job and the turnover on the job. When you think about uh, both Dave Dombrowski and Ben Charrington uh, fired uh, in Dombrowski's case, less than a year after winning a World Series, and in Charrington's case, less than two years after winning a World Series, um, you know, that gets around and people notice that and want more stability in a job. Yeah, Sean, obviously a lot of layers to this story. Uh, the intrigue is interesting, but uh, you mentioned a name, Michael Hill, as maybe a leader in the clubhouse. You, you floated that on Friday, a guy that played football and baseball at Harvard. He's been around Major League Circles with the Florida Marlins amongst um, and also now with Major League Baseball. Uh, is that a name that should intrigue you? Um, he's an interesting guy. He's had a lot of experience. There isn't anything in the game that he hasn't done. 
Uh, you mentioned playing baseball at Harvard. He was actually drafted by the Texas Rangers, played two or three years in the minors before he gave that up, uh, and then worked his way up through a number of organizations, notably the Marlins. He's been a, uh, a scouting director. Um, he's been a general manager. He's been a president of baseball operations. Uh, I noted he'd been a minor league player. And for the last year or so, he's been the vice president of on-field operations at Major League Baseball. And uh, actually, just translating that, he's been the uh, sort of chief disciplinarian. So if there are suspensions or appeals to hear, he's the guy doing that. That's a job that Joe Torrey has done in the past, Frank Robinson, some others. Um, so it's a pretty significant job at Major League Baseball. Um, his time with the Marlins was frankly mixed. Um, they did not uh, win much in his tenure. Uh, I suspect much of that has to do with ownership and Jeffrey Loria uh, and more recently Bruce Sherman, uh, two owners who have not spent a whole lot of money. Uh, in fact, for much of their history, the Marlins have been one of the smallest spending teams in the league. Um, <clears throat> so it's hard to grade him straight across on his time with the Marlins. He did make some, uh, he did make some notable trades while there, but his teams did not have a lot of success. How much you want to fault him for that, I guess is open to interpretation, but he's a guy that has been in the game a while and is well-respected. And I don't know that I would say leader in the clubhouse, John, but just someone that we know that they've shown some interest in. And uh, frankly, the fact that we don't know for a fact that Michael Hill has rejected their overtures um, puts him uh, ahead of so many others who have already done that. Sean, great talking to you as always about baseball and, you know, the playoffs. I'll get into that with you in a minute. But going back to the whole director of operations, the president uh, of baseball operations, going to watching the Mets and the way they did it, hiring David Stearns and and uh, let him come in and pick his own manager. Is that isn't that to me? That seems like the standard way to run an organization for years. The guy comes in, he can pick his own, not only his own manager, but his own his own people that work around him. Why are the Red Sox approaching it kind of in a different way? Yeah, that's a great question, Tim. And and I would say what the Mets are doing, uh, that, that you selected two teams who are kind of at the opposite extreme in their approach here. Uh, the Red Sox are essentially telling people, um, you know, hey, great news. Uh, you're going to inherit a full staff here and you don't have to worry about hiring anybody. Um, the Mets are saying, uh, come on in and do what you want. And immediately uh, a guy like Buck Showalter is out of a job before he, literally he speaks with David Stern. So th those are polar opposite approaches. As far as why the Red Sox are doing it, I think a lot of it is their faith in Alex Cora. Uh, ownership and, and Sam Kennedy, uh, you know, we're talking about the handful of most important decision makers in the organization when we when we speak of those people um, they not only uh trust alex core and believe he's one of the best managers in the game 
but they believe that um, having him under contract for at least one more year is an asset in this process that, look, you already have a very good manager who's won a World Series and taken a team to a, a deep into an LCS in two of his first three years managing here. So they see that as a plus. And um, I, I, I think it's less obvious what they're thinking is in terms of retaining a lot of people in baseball operations. Some of it may be loyalty. Um, the people we're talking about have been there for uh, better than 20 years in some cases. Uh, they provide some institutional memory and some stability and continuity in a job that doesn't have a lot. So I'm guessing they view all of that as positive too. Uh, but the thing that I think is really unorthodox in this search is including Alex Cora's input in it so that you have a guy who is essentially participating in selecting the person who's going to be his boss. That part is pretty unprecedented. And again, if you're asking me why they're doing it, it's obviously their respect and uh, their admiration for Cora as a manager in person. As I said, they see him as an asset that, that makes the job more attractive, and I can understand that part. But the part where he's actually providing input into choosing people or recommending people is, as I said, pretty much unprecedented. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it just it seems like they're you know what they're doing is kind of a, a backwards move. But anyway, uh, let's talk about what's going on on the field now. And the playoffs have been fun. I think just the new rules have have added a lot of juice to the game and makes it more interesting. But uh, what about the division series that we just saw completed? You know, the best of five to me. I don't think you're getting the true best team in a best of five. Uh, and we've seen that now with Baltimore uh, out and the, and with Atlanta out and with the Dodgers out. I mean, what's your feeling on where we are now as far as the playoff, the format goes, and you're seeing teams like Arizona uh, in the final four and Texas and of course, Philadelphia, which is a great story. I mean, we, I love watching the Phillies game. Who doesn't? I mean, you see that excitement there. You wish it was here at Fenway, but it's not. We've lost that. But what's your comment on or your feel so far on the format and what we've seen in the playoffs? Yeah, um, you're right. There have certainly been a ton of upsets here, not only this year, but last year, too. And this format is only two years old. It was introduced in 2022. Uh, so I think we have to give it a little time to breathe before we make any determination about its fairness or uh, its, its equity. Uh, it certainly has produced some upsets in the first two falls, but I would remind people that that's a, a pretty small sample size and that maybe uh, we shouldn't read too much. There's enough randomness to the postseason as it is, and two years is hardly uh, a long enough time to you know, make any obvious uh, observations or, or you know, jump to any conclusions. But there's no question uh, you know, you mentioned in a perfect world, maybe the, the, the division series would be longer, and that's probably true. 
But I think what we're dealing with here is a calendar issue. Uh, number one, uh, I think part of the reason that these division series teams keep getting knocked off is that they're forced to sit for five days before they play their first game. And that that's not typical in baseball. As you know, it's a very routine-oriented sport. Uh, you're used to pretty much playing every day for six-plus months. The only time where you're off you know, longer than a day usually is either, you know, weather related or coming out of the all-star break where you might have three or four days, but five is a lot. And it seems to have, uh, you know, knocked some of these teams off their equilibrium where they're sitting around, they're doing things like having inter-squad games with fans in the stands to try to replicate, which, of course, you can't do. There's nothing you can do to replicate the intensity of a postseason series. But I, you just get the feeling that some of these teams come off their five-week vacation, and they're not literally vacationing, but their five-day rest, um, and uh, can't get it going right again. And uh, that happened with Baltimore, as you noted. It happened with Atlanta. It happened with the Dodgers. The problem with going to a best of seven in the division series is you're starting to run out of time. Um, as it is, the World Series is going to go into, I think, game seven would be either November 2nd or 3rd this year. <clears throat> if, if you go to a best of seven in the division series, you're adding, um, you know, you're, you're adding uh, at least or the possibility of three more days with the travel day and then game six and seven. Uh, so you're, you're now you're starting to push this into November six, seven. Uh, and I, I think they worry about that, um, you know, in terms of the drain, in terms of keeping people's interest for that long, in, in terms of the weather that you're running into in the Northeast and Midwest in November. So, uh, you, you have to draw the line somewhere. Um, and for now, they're not ready to go to a third best of seven series, uh, you know, as part of this. And they're trying to see if they can get away with the best of five. About the only way <clears throat> I see them doing that would be if the players and owners could come to some sort of um, – some sort of agreement where you lop some games off in the regular season. You, know, you go to a 154 game schedule, which is what we had before, what, 60 or 1962. Um, but, you know, that involves giving up four home gates for all these owners who might be less interested in doing that than they are in creating a fairer first round playoff series. Yeah, Sean, but the, couldn't that be uh, – maybe I'm uh, ignorant. Sorry, Meter. I just wanted to throw this in there. Just get his quick opinion. Couldn't we go back to the one-game wild card and then start a best of seven to, and to well, come back you, on the you, calendar? You could, but, I mean, our, you know, then to me, Tim, you're, you're, uh, you know, you're, you're fixing one problem and creating another. You want a longer um, division series to more accurately uh, test and determine who the better team is, but now you're introducing a more random result 
in the wild card. And I, I get what you're probably saying is that, you know, well, if you win a wild card, you don't deserve the benefit of the doubt. Uh, win a division, and you don't have to worry about it. But I think people thought that the one game, as 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 fascinating as it was, and as much drama as created, right? It was kind of that March Madness feel: one game, win or go home, and that created its own intensity. I think a lot of people were uncomfortable with having that rather than the current best of three. But if, you know, that could be a trade-off that they would consider uh, if they think it's more important to get the truer results in a second round than it is in the first. No, it's definitely something that uh, is going to have to be discussed, I think, or who knows. I, I, I kind of like the random nature of it, guys. I do. I, like, I love what Philadelphia is doing. It's hard not to get caught up in that baseball carnival atmosphere of Citizens Bank Park. But, Sean, as far as the Red Sox shopping list, if you were Michael Hill or fill-in-the-blank, whoever gets the job uh, as the pobo, uh, where do you start? Is, is it starting pitching the extreme priority? It seems like that's obvious. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any question about that. If, if I were listing uh, uh, the top three priorities this winter, I would say – starting pitching first, uh, starting pitching second, and starting pitching third. So that that should uh, clear that up. Uh, it's by far their biggest need. Um, you know, around the diamond, they're in fairly good shape. You could make the argument that uh, if they don't retain Justin Turner as a DH, uh, that they need a righty bat to replace him. Uh, either as a DH or maybe someone they could fit into their outfield alignment. You could say that they could use an upgrade at second base, um, but it, it's mostly starting pitching here. That's what has uh, tripped them up each of the last couple of years. You can't have an ERA in the four and a half as they have the last two years, finishing in the bottom third the last two seasons and expect to compete. Um, there, there's a decent amount of help available in the starting rotation um, on the free agent market if they want to spend. And by the way, I expect they will. I, I think this is going to be one of those years where ownership has had uh, enough of last place and will green light some pretty big investments. Uh, you've got Yamamoto coming over from Japan. You have Blake Snell. You have Aaron Nola who's pitching for the Phillies that you were talking about. Uh, you've got Jordan Montgomery with the Rangers, who would be an interesting fit here. So there's definitely some free agent options out there. And, and now that the minor league system has been built up um, to the degree it has, you're in better position to uh, move some of those prospects and trade for starting pitching or any other holes that you have to uh, fix for that matter. But yeah, no question, starting pitching has to be, and I believe will be, the focus. Uh, how much have you been caught up in following or tracking uh, the Shohei rumors? And, you know, was it whether it's Jeff Passan, whether it's John Heyman, Peter Gammons, not really solid necessarily reporting, but kind of the floating Red Sox are in on it. Uh, we've heard that many times about them being in on players. Should we believe the Shohei rumors? You know, um, I'm, I'm sort of torn on that because in a lot of ways, Otani checked so many boxes here. He would yep. immediately 
spike interest in the Red Sox, not just nationally and even internationally, but specifically here in New England in terms of someone that would sell tickets and bring eyeballs to Nesson. And that neither of those should be discounted or underestimated if you're looking to read the tea leaves here. Um, another, uh, obviously, is uh, the fact that uh, Fenway Sports Group is an international conglomerate. They have holdings all over the world. They're looking to expand their empire. Uh, if you were to land the guy who's one of the top two or three most recognized uh, athletes in the world, that would surely go a long way to having him in your portfolio. And let's face it, even though he won't pitch next year, um, he is a, a unicorn, a guy we've never seen be able to do the things as a position player and pitcher that this guy has accomplished, and he immediately makes you better, even though he did not succeed in doing that in Anaheim during his five or six years, or at least not enough to get them into the playoffs. Um, so in a lot of ways, um, he checks all those boxes. And uh, to me, he might be that super big investment that the Red Sox might be willing to make an exception for. On the other hand, I was told that uh, a couple of, uh, well, it's more than a month ago now when the Red Sox had some preliminary offseason planning meetings, that Otani was not a big focus there. Now, maybe that's changed. Um, maybe they've decided that they need that um, infusion of excitement and star quality. But, um, and, and, you know, the other thing to be, to consider is that, you know, I continue to be told that while John Henry will spend more this year and will authorize a more aggressive off season, um, it's known that he has an aversion to those, you know, those 10 year mega deals. Uh, from a practical standpoint that very often they don't work out and, or, you know, you get five great years, one or two decent years and three lousy years out of your 10 seasons. And that maybe that's not the best way to win. And there's no maybe about it. It's not, but sometimes they work out. We see it with Bryce Harper um, with the Phillies. We saw it with Max Scherzer with the Nationals. We saw it with Manny Ramirez here, frankly. So uh, if you're ever going to make an exception for a guy, Otani looks like the guy to do it with, but I, I remain a little skeptical. I, I don't think it's completely out of the question. It would not floor me if they were to be aggressive in this regard, but kind of gun to my head, you're asking me, are, are they going to be deep into the bidding? My My answer is I don't think so. Yeah, no, that's that's pretty much I think uh, standard industry chatter about that, and uh, I think it's interesting. But by any means, if, if even if they are in on him, it should be a fascinating offseason, and it will be. And I think uh, we can look forward to reading you on MassLive.com. Sean McAdam, great stuff as always. Thank you so much. My pleasure, guys. Always good talking with you. You too, Sean. Very informative. Thank you, Sean McAdam. Read him. Daily on MassLive.com if you get the chance. It's a must-read in the baseball offseason and during the season as well. Joe Passarelli coming up next with an update. Meet her the coach, Sports Radio, WEI 103.7. Now.